Well, hello, friends, and welcome to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry and podcast ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church, located in Greenville, Texas. Now, in these few moments we spend together each week, you'll hear great and stirring interviews and powerful messages from the Word of God. But the reason for it all is so you can be touched by... Chad Haney here. I'm so glad to be back in studio today with our friend Mickey Pearson. And Mickey, we're so grateful that you're uh, with us and excited to uh, talk to you again. Likewise. Mickey, we were uh, visiting in our last session about the uh, just the state of our nation. The real danger to our nation that is really much more dangerous than the rise or fall of the economy, jobs or unemployment, politics or elections, or the military. The the truth is, um, our homes are disintegrating in this nation. I'm sure you found that to be a, uh, a very difficult challenge in your work in education. Well, I've, I've seen it. Uh, my wife, uh, really has been closer to it than I have. Mm -hmm. She, she uh she was a strong teacher is a strong teacher she still subs and she's had over 50 years experience 37 years full time in the classroom she never had a desire to be a counselor or a principal or anything she just loved kids and when she retired uh in 2002 after 37 years the question she got most was how much did the kids change mm. in the time that she taught yeah and her answer was that the kids didn't change at all the kids still had a desire to learn. Mm. What had changed was the house, the household that they came from, the parents. Jet, uh, when she started teaching, uh, and by the way, her first uh, her first place to teach was in a elementary school at Perrin Air Force Base How about in that? Sherman, Texas. She yeah. she had finished Austin College in uh, in mid term, and I mm. didn't finish till May. Yeah. So she got a job. And as a full-time teacher out there. I know right where that school is. And uh, it's st- it's still out there. I, I don't know if they still use it or not. I believe they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still quite a bit of housing out there from right. the base, you know. But the base was still very active at that uh-huh. time. And uh, 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 she started her, her 37-year career right there. Yeah. And But uh, uh, when she – she often at that time, there was not a limit on the size of a classroom. So mm-hmm. uh, one time uh, – not too long after she had started, we moved to Georgia, and uh, we were in Macon, and, and Bibb, Georgia had county school systems. And Bibb County School System uh, had chosen to uh, judge the ability of kids, and uh, they had classified them as either slow learners, average learners, or accelerated learners. Right. And Carol wound up with a class of second graders numbering about 35 of slow learners. They put wow. them all in the same class. Wow. 35 slow learners. So, uh, to a young teacher with a year or two experience, you know, yeah. that was, that was a pretty big, uh, big handful, but a little uh, scary. Uh, but you know, what, what she really learned was that, uh, these kids were eager to learn. And, uh, as long as she was teaching, she found that, that to be true and still does. Yeah. Uh, 
the problem is that they don't have much reinforcement when they leave school yeah. in, in many cases. Now, that's not everybody, but uh, her classes early on would maybe have uh, two or three students that had a, came from a single-parent family. Mm-hmm. Uh, when By the time she retired in 2002, the average was probably closer to 50%. 50%. Students that had came from a single parent family. My goodness. That is a very devastating statistic. And a lot of people think, well, my kids are strong. My kids will be fine. And we don't think of the devastation that kids endure uh, when the family That's falls true. apart. That's true. It's hardest on the kids, I believe. Heard a story about a little kid that was frustrated because his daddy was always bringing home a big briefcase full of work to do at home and he wanted him to go out in the yard and play ball with him and the dad would say well son i've got to i've got to do this work i've got all this work in my in my briefcase here that i've got to get done and he said well daddy can't you do that at work i want you to play with me when you come home he said son yeah i've got more than i can do at work he said well daddy maybe you need to be in a slower group <laughs> and you know what? Uh, I think a lot of us could stand to be in a slower group. That's true. Uh, tell us a little bit about, um, Mickey, you have risen. I don't mind saying, I hope I don't embarrass you, but you rose to a very high level of responsibility in education uh, at Region 10. Now, some people uh, who are not teachers may not understand what a big deal that is. Can you tell us a little bit about the function of Region 10 and the scope of that organization? And uh, how long have you been uh, chairman of the board of directors at Region uh, 10? I, I was chairman of that board probably for approximately 20 years. I don't remember exactly. Uh, Chet. I, I just, uh, uh, you know, we're making a move, and it, it right. required me to to leave Region 10 and the board just last week. Mm-hmm. But that was after 32 years of serving on that board. But a little about the education service centers, they actually were uh, legislated uh, in the state of Texas, I believe it was 1967. Yeah. And there are 20 service centers in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, region 10 is the second largest. Mm-hmm. Uh, region 4 in Houston is the largest in terms of the number of students that they serve. Actually, we serve in Region 10 more school districts than they serve. And, and uh-huh. let me say that the service centers are entrepreneurial in their business. Uh, we compete with uh, we compete with private uh, companies yeah. for the services that we provide to schools, and uh, and we're we're self-supporting. Uh, yeah. We we tax dollars the. the the unattached money that comes from the state of Texas to Region 10 amounts to about approximately 50 cents a student a year. Wow. Uh, the rest is generated through the services we provide, and uh, uh, we have approximately uh, 400 employees mm-hmm. at Region 10. Uh, My goodness. Uh, a whole lot of those are involved in early Head Start and Head Start mm-hmm. programs that uh, mm-hmm. we do for the dis- different school districts. Yeah. But our, our primary, uh, we provide all just a multitude of services from, from payroll, yeah. uh, to, uh, teacher in service, uh, and, uh, instruction. Uh, uh, it's amazing how many, uh, how many schools and, and particularly administrators and teachers turn to Region 10 when a crisis occurs. Yeah. And many times, uh, we're not, uh, 
really set up, we don't have a lot of people to. For for example, a crisis I might I know of several occasions that uh, there's been an accident in a school district that oh, took, wow. took the life of one or more students, mm. and uh, uh, like a you bus, know a bus wreck or something. Well, yeah, or any you know whatever the case might be, yeah. but uh, it just upsets. And, and, and in smaller districts, sometimes it's even worse than larger districts. But it, it just puts a shockwave through the whole the whole school. Yeah. And uh, they call on Region Ten and other service centers too to mm-hmm. to provide them with some with some counseling and with some people that can help uh, help the individuals that are having the worst problems. Anyway, yeah. uh, that's that's kind of a crisis thing that we do. That's not an everyday deal, thank goodness, but. Uh, uh, but we are, as I say, our primary focus is just provide services, and we depend very much on schools and school administrators to tell us yeah. what kind of services they need the most, and then we try to do that and fill that gap for them. Well, and speaking of service uh, to your community, you also served, did you not, as a uh, city councilman in Allen and then uh, – Yes, I did. Rose to the level of serving as mayor of the city. That was at a pretty young age. Uh, uh-huh. You mentioned uh, uh, your young age as a pastor. I, right. uh, we moved to Allen in 1970. Wow. To give you an idea of what Allen was in 1970, the population yeah. was approximately 1,200 people. Is that right? Uh, it's now probably <laughs> but somewhere between 90 and 100,000. But yeah. uh, uh, anyway, I... Uh, wasn't there too many years until I successfully ran for a place on the city council. Uh-huh. And I served about one and a half terms on the city council and then ran for mayor, and I served three terms as mayor. Uh, that time spanned from, uh, uh, let's see, 1978, probably as mayor, from 1978 yeah. to 1984. My goodness. And in that period of time, the city grew from a little over 5,000 to 16,000. During those days, we would drive up to McKinney for one reason, and that was to go shop for ski clothes in downtown McKinney at uh, Linda's uh, Ski. Uh, I'm not sure the name of the company, but they always had ski bibs, and so every yeah, time they, we went on a ski they were trip, well known in that area. Yeah, I had to go. To, they're yeah. still there. Yeah, uh, of course, downtown McKinney's become a marvel. It has, and Allen has become a marvel. So you. You were um, seeing the beginnings of that uh, amazing growth of the city even back then, I'm sure. Well, in 1978, uh, we did not have a city manager, so it kind of fell on the mayor to spend more time with the yeah. city than uh, than uh, I had really to give. But uh, right. in the course of that first year, uh, we had to prove to the state that we had 5,000 population so we could become a home rule city. Is that right? Uh, any any place that's under five thousand cannot have the distinction of a home rule city, or couldn't then. I don't uh-huh. know. I haven't kept up with it. But yeah. anyway, we did that, and of course, with that, then we wrote a charter for the city, mm-hmm. and then we began to work on our first master plan. Wow! And uh, we completed that in pretty <laughs> short order. And if y'all could have seen back then what Allen has become now, it'd probably scare you to death, wouldn't it? Well, yes and no. I, you know, it's amazing. I when I go to Allen and ride around now and look, uh, yeah, 
Uh, I mean, you can't be specific about these kind of plans, you know, but right. the idea of how it was going to grow and what uh-huh. areas were going to grow and what areas of business or, or yeah. family life, uh, it really, uh, we had some, we had some, uh, I almost say we had some divine intervention because our early, our early plans really, uh, have been modified mm-hmm. along on a regular basis, uh, since the city's been there, but they basically held true to, to what we had seen early on. We'd love to hear more about that. Could I ask you to come back? Sure. Visit with us again. God bless you. Thank you, Mickey. Uh-huh. We're, uh, so blessed today to have Mickey Pearson with us in studio for the His Mighty Hand radio broadcast and even more so glad to have you, our, our listeners. Uh, to hear what God has to say through uh, special people like Mickey. We pray that God will speak to you now through his word as we jump into a recorded message from Highland Terrace Baptist Church. I'm so privileged to be the pastor here, Pastor Chet Haney, and I'm so grateful that you joined us today as one of our valued listeners on the His Mighty Hand radio broadcast. And now here's the host of His Mighty Hand, Pastor Chet Haney. As he received from her that wonderful confession of faith, the teacher has come. He's calling for you. And Mary rose quickly and she went out to see Jesus. Now let's go back to your invitation that you received this morning. You're going to get another one in the morning. Soon as you wake up, I pray that if the Holy Spirit will bless and anoint the message of this sermon this morning, I pray that part of the application in your life is going to be in the morning. The first thought on your mind when you wake up in that bed is an invitation from the Spirit of God. The teacher has come and he's calling for you. It's an opportunity to go get your nose in that Bible. It's an opportunity to uh, focus your heart vertically and not on all the stuff of this world and the distractions and the, the fears and, you know, everything else that can just weigh us down, the sin that so easily besets us, Hebrews says. And the way you respond to it, specifically the pace with which you respond says something. You know what the Bible says God hates? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18. God hates feet that are swift in running to evil. Isn't that a sad state of affairs? When we're quick to do the thing we shouldn't do, and the thing we should do, we got to think about it for a while. And let's get motivated. And let's uh, sort of, uh, you know, ponder it a little bit. And we'll put it off a little longer. And finally, we might get around to it when we barely have any attention left to give to the Lord at all. Because we gave our first and our best to something else. A lesser love, a lesser thing. How sad when you had an invitation from Jesus. The teacher came and he's calling for you. And you chose what instead? God help us. When the teacher comes to get up and quickly move into that place where we can hear his voice. And of course, you know, by this time, Mary was a mess. 
In fact, the Bible says the Jews who were around her, and I just want to compliment them again this morning. I said this last week. Let me repeat it again now. All those Jews who had gathered around Mary and Martha, they probably didn't know what to say. They didn't know exactly how to comfort her. But that was okay because they did the main thing. They showed up. And they were giving to her what I call the ministry of being there. They surrounded her and they were attentive to her. And the Bible says, you're going to see it here, they were weeping with her. She didn't have to cry by herself. She had others surrounding her there who were weeping with her, which is a fulfillment, by the way, of Romans chapter 12. You want to turn over there with me right quick? Let's look at Romans 12 for a moment. Verses uh, 15. And following, actually starting in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. And what does it say next, church? Weep with those who weep. Let me tell you something. You don't know what to say? When somebody's going through a terrible, hard time, the hardest thing you can imagine, that's okay. Let them see that you truly care so much that you're willing to let their burden sink into your heart. And it causes you to weep. That'll touch them more than anything you could say. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Look at verse 18. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Praise God for that verse. You may not be able to work it out with somebody, but you can do your part. You can try. You can do your best. You can do what you should do to live peaceably. With all men. So here's Mary. She gets up quickly. She runs out to see Jesus. And the Jews who were surrounding her said, Look, Mary's getting up. She must be going to the tomb to weep there. Let's go with her. Once again, they didn't know where she was going. They thought they did. They thought they had her all figured out and scoped out. And so they said, we're going to get up and go with her. I'm really not being critical. I'm just saying that sometimes we think we've got people all figured out. And we really don't know that this is a girl who's just trying to get to Jesus. You know, that may be true with other people we know as well. And we think we understand. And we think we've figured them out. And we think we've, you know... Got them all sized up, but we haven't walked a mile in their moccasins, have we? We don't know all the details that other people are going through. We don't know the hurts they feel. And sometimes we just need to be there. And I I really give them credit for that. But I want you to notice what happened next. As they got there, uh, the Bible says something really interesting about... Mary, and especially about Jesus. In verses 32 and 33, Mary is not talking. She is weeping with words. 
It went something like this. If you put the two verses together, because verse 33 says the Lord saw her weeping. And verse 32 says uh, the words that she said. So if she was weeping with her words, it would have been something like this. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. That's probably a poor imitation on my part. But I hope you get the idea that Mary's not just speaking to Jesus. She is crying her eyes out as she cries her words out. And look at the response of the Lord Jesus. It is literally the word embry my oh my. Isn't that something? My oh my. Embry my oh my, which means that the Lord in his deepest inner personhood was groaning. And, and he was shaken in addition to that. He was groaning, which is embry my oh my, and the next word says he was shaken. Uh, this word can also mean indignant, by the way. But here in this case, there's no indignancy. There's just a feeling of trouble. And Jesus himself is in trouble. And he's about to lose it. And trying to hold it together, as you and I have done multiple times in our own lives, he he gets a question out at least. Where have you laid him And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus lost it. Verse 35. He could not contain his weeping. And he began to weep openly. So much so. And not that Jesus was putting on a show. Far from it. But the Jews said, see how he loved him. They didn't say that because of anything Jesus said. They didn't say that because of any words of wisdom that Jesus was able to offer or any scriptures that he quoted. They said that because Jesus was willing to weep with those who weep. And to the Jews, it was equivalent to love. See how he loved him. He loved him. I know you've been to some homes as I have where a terrible tragedy has stricken a family. It's just so painful. It just hurts so deeply. And when Jesus wept, he showed the amazing human side of the incarnation. Just as much God as though he were not man, Jesus also was just as much man as though he were not God. And he wept. Now Jesus hadn't forgotten what he was about to do. He he hadn't uh, lost sight of what was about to happen with Lazarus. It wasn't that Jesus didn't know how to proceed. 
No, Jesus cried because Jesus cared. And he still does. Our Lord feels just as much a great compassion for you and your family as he did for Lazarus and his family because he loves everyone. Although there are certain ones who become special to Jesus because they throw dinners for him, as we're going to see in chapter 12 in a couple of weeks. September the 13th, as a matter of fact, we're going to look at a dinner that was thrown for Jesus. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to have the Lord's Supper right here that morning. And by the way, we're not going to pass it out with the plates. We'll have it all set up outside, self-serve. You can bring your Lord's Supper elements in, and we'll show you how to how to take care of it. It'll be on the 13th. Uh, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and we'll dine with him and he with me. There's something special about the Lord's Supper because it indicates a closeness that we feel with Jesus, much akin to the closeness you would feel to someone you had over for dinner. Now, we're going to close with this this morning. And I want you to just see something interesting about the response. Jesus weeping, just as Mary was weeping, just as the Jews were weeping, and there were two responses. One in verse 36 and one very different response in verse 37. You've seen the response of verse 36 which made the tears of Jesus equivalent to love. Look at verse 37. Some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept him from dying? Now this is the critical people. This is the narrow-minded, fault-finding voice of fault-finders. And I want to tell you something. Um, some fault-finding, mealy-mouthed, negative people can find fault anywhere, even where there is none to be found. And it didn't bother Jesus a bit. He wasn't concerned with their fault-finding. He was concerned with pleasing his heavenly father. And I'll tell you this, I've told you before, let's just repeat it now for emphasis. If you're pleasing God, it doesn't matter who you displease. But if you're displeasing God, it doesn't matter who you please. So how about we bow together for prayer this morning? Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for this amazing display of the humanity and the compassion and the deep, deep love of Jesus. And Lord, I just ask you that tomorrow morning, 
when we awaken and begin to open our hearts and our minds as well as our eyes that we could remember tomorrow the teacher has come and he's calling for you. Lord, help us never to take that opportunity for granted. And Lord, today, may it be so clear and so plain and so apparent to someone who's watching online this morning. Someone who's seated in our worship center here this morning. Jesus has come for you. And he traveled a long way to get here. Through the cross and through the resurrection. And from the throne of God in heaven to earth and back. Jesus has come and he came for you. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who would... uh, rather not stand Jesus up but instead humbly almost with a why me spirit why would you love me that much Jesus I don't understand it but thank you and I want to receive you today I want to give my life to you and become a Christian Thanks for listening today to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church located on Joe Ramsey Boulevard right here in Greenville, Texas. Join us each week at this time as we celebrate His work in our lives through 